We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Entering the Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience. We're here, week one. It's well, it's almost in the books, I suppose. There's still Monday Night Football left to go, but we're here recapping the week with you. Give our power rankings, our waiver wire pickups, and go through the entire injury report as we head into week two. Then there's shows every single day of the week from here on out. Golf is back this week. We have more UFC this week. Challenge here. We have like 10 PMEs coming out, but this is one you want to talk into we'll be covering the waiver wire a little bit later on if you're tuning in live thank you for taking a part out of your monday morning because hey who wants to pay attention at work at 9 30 a.m we'll be here with you 9 30 a.m every single monday to get everything on the go the show index and the time codes will be after af, will be added after the show starts mainly because i don't know when they're going to pop up at this point we'll have to reverse engineer the entire situation but i do want to let everyone know please share the show around give it a retweet give it a share and tell your co-worker what you're doing. you probably don't want to do that you don't want to get fired but if you want to get into a draw for 20 dk box i got two ways to do so one smash the like button for the episode leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section not the live chat the comment section and tell me which player any position is your number one waiver wire pickup of week two the second way to do so get into the draw by leaving a five-star audio podcast review DraftKings handling something nice about the show winners announced every single monday on the pat mayo experience i got some winners right here for you of 20 dk dollars we got big old tds I guess you made that name when you... I don't even know if you're eligible to play on DraftKings. You need to be over 19, and that is not a name that anyone over the age of 19 has. Maybe if you are 19, potentially. That sounds like something an 8-year-old would come up with. V-Rod, 305. USA, 2. Johan, 125. Statman, underscore, 68. Come on, you couldn't do 69? What's going on here? Single, 73. Hunker, Toe, Jane, Meal. Daddy, dollars, 0824. And the winner, the big giveaway of 100... DraftKings dollars is C Mac one two two one. Thank you all 
for playing, leaving your comments, sharing everything around. We have more DraftKings dollars to give away this week. That money should be added probably sometime later today. I mean, at least in the next six weeks. How about that? That'll be my timeline for getting you the cash. Hopefully by the end of this show, it will be into your account. So congratulations on all the big winners out there. My article with the waiver wire rankings, uh, if you just want to follow along and look at the injury report, is up on dkplaybook.com right now. The listeners league link for the Pat Mayo experience, rake-free tournament, 5K to first place because there's no rake. Get double your money for just cashing. It's $15, three max entry. The link will be added. As soon as that contest is posted, as of this time, it is not. So if you check back later in the day, you can find that in the podcast and video description. I think we got everything out of the way. Joining me to break down week one and look forward to week two from DK Live. He's in studio, I think. I don't know. I don't know what he's up to. It's my main man, Steve Buchanan. What's up, man? Going on, man. You know, we got to work on some of those usernames. Lazy, absolutely lazy names that you just came, you called up there. Yeah, they're like, all right. I wasn't, they're winners. That's the, that's <laughs> they're the winners. best. They're, they're winners. That's the best thing that we can say about this entire thing. So, React number one, and we'll get to the waiver wire stuff a little bit later on. I wanted to talk a little bit about our power rankings of the team so far, and we're going to give our top five. So, I want to hear your top five power rank teams after week one. Yeah, so we'll start with number five here. I, I think it's the Rams. You know, I think, you know, in a game where Jared Goff really didn't wasn't that effective in a game where Todd Gurley really wasn't doing much of anything and still being able to pull out a win over the Panthers, I think that was pretty impressive there. Uh, Eagles number four. Uh, gutty, gutty win over the Redskins. Like, they were down early, 20 to 7. People who were back in the Eagles were sweating that one out. Some reason, somehow, but they were able to pull that one out. Uh, game where really Zach Ertz was not much of a factor either. I thought that was good to see. Uh, Ravens number three. Uh, I have a feeling they're going to start moving down as we're going on. I think, I think you and I can discuss that a lot as we go on here. But, I mean, even against the Dolphins, just absolutely impressive win there. Chiefs number two, loss of Tyreek Hill is obviously concerning, but who cares when you have Patrick Mahomes? And then, of course, number one, the Patriots looking more towards week two with Antonio Brown. They just absolutely dominated the Steelers last night. Yeah, I think they they opened at 17 and a half point favors against the Dolphins this week. So I have some problems here with some of your teams. My top five, I'm going Dallas at number five, the Packers at number four, the Saints at number three. Obviously, we haven't seen them yet, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt for the moment. The Chiefs at number two and the Patriots at number one. I'm not too concerned about Mahomes' ankle, although he had to get it taped. He missed like a snap, but it looks like he's going to be fine here. Losing Tyreek Hill, probably the bigger case. I'm worried about the Eagles. The offense... Looks really good, but their defense does not look good, man. Their secondary is bad, and they got banged up on the defensive side of the ball yesterday. But, I mean, that was half the problem with them last season, too. Like, they just have an awful secondary. I think that's just, like, kind of like their 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 forte at this point. Like, well, that, they that, just, you, you, know, you know what? That's a problem. <laughs> it is a problem, but they have – but it's, a, it's one of those teams that, like, they can they can spare to have that bad secondary because their offense is just gonna click every single game. Like, look at what just Deshaun Jackson did yesterday. That was such a, something that they lacked so much last season. They never really had that deep downfield threat. And then you just see what he can do with that fractured index or ring finger, index finger, whatever. He's got a fractured finger. But he just absolutely stuck it to the Redskins. And I think that's just going to something you're going to see all season long, barring if Carson Wentz can stay healthy. We all know that's going to be something. But, I mean, that, you can't deny how good that offense looked last night. Yeah, no, 
the offense looked fine. And I, I mean, a lot of this has to do with like the reason I didn't put the Eagles in there is they, you know, and you could make the case like the Seahawks, once they get healthier and that defense gels a little bit more and they have a full complement of players and you know, Clowney is you know, week two into actually doing everything. The defense could be really, really good. I was worried a bit about the offense because as usual, Russell Wilson has no offensive line and people are just in his face. It's not like the Bengals have a great pass rush, but the Eagles look, you know, the offense looked good for a half against a mediocre opponent. Like I put Dallas in my top five, but they played the Giants. What do we really know about that? We know the Giants aren't very good, but Dallas did look really good. The Ravens, like I have no good the how I have no idea how good the Ravens actually are. So they come out and they stomp Miami, just like they stomped the Bills in Week One last year. And now they get the Cardinals coming in. They that defense should at least feast on Kyler Murray, who looked pretty good. We'll get to Kyler Murray in a little bit here because he screwed my day. If anyone screwed me. It, it, it might not even be it was it might even be Kyler Murray it's that whoever the Lions coach was who took the time out after they had the game clinching third down oh, done uh and God. cost me I gave out a seven leg parlay on the Sunday live show uh and I yeah. was five and oh until the Lions came along then I just would have needed the Broncos now, so hopefully that means the Broncos definitely win but we'll see so it, it's tough to kind of parse who's good and who's bad in week one like are the Vikings good or is Atlanta really bad? Or is it week one and like none of this shit matters? I mean, none of this shit matters. Like if you were to tell me that, you know, Lamar Jackson was going to come out and go out and have the game that he's going to have, I'd tell you you're absolutely crazy. Like nobody expected that. And that's like the thing that worries me too. You know, we'll talk about the waiver wire stuff later, you know, who to pick up here, but it gives that false perception that this Ravens team is going to just be this offensive juggernaut because they're not. Like on a normal basis, if you're going to be playing Lamar Jackson, you're not going to be looking to pair him with a receiver. You're probably going to pair him with someone like Mark Ingram or even like their defense. Like this is not a team that you're, you're going to, you know, QB wide receiver stack on a week to week basis. And, you know, especially people who are new to the game or just trying to get into DFS and be like, well, look at this guy, Lamar Jackson. He threw all these, you know, passing yards through all these touchdowns. He's amazing. That's just not the type of guy he is. You know, even go back to his college days, he never completed a season with over 60% completion rate at any point. It's just he's not that type of guy. And that's why, you know, week one stuff, it's just it's really tough to nail it down because you get these, you know, look at the Redskins. Were they this great team in the first half? Like, that's not who they are. It's just figuring it out, you know, adjusting the kinks and you just go on and move on to the other weeks. So how much do you think we should overreact to some of the things that we saw in terms of like snap share? Like we didn't get a full complement of James Conner. Edo Smith and Devonta Freeman were basically in a timeshare. It's not like the only one that really got locked in, like Barkley played 80% of the giant snaps. I have all of the snap counts posted right now up in my column on DK playbook. And I just tweeted them out. They're off my Facebook page. You can check all of that out. If you just want to see the raw numbers behind everything, but like, do you put too much stock into this? Because like, Honestly, looking at it right now, Christian McCaffrey played 100% of the snaps, so that's good. Berkeley, if the game was competitive, would have too, but I don't know how often that the Giants are going to be in these super competitive games, so this might be a trend for Berkeley. He still played 80% of the snaps and did a ton with basically nothing. It was one big run for him, but his utilization in the passing game still did a lot of work. But I look at someone like Todd Gurley. We were all kind of down on Todd Gurley. I played him week one drafting, so I was like, oh, this is going to be a smash spot. They're definitely going to feed him touchdowns. Turns out that was not the case. That was the 
opposite of the case. He still played 70% of the Rams' offensive snaps. He actually looked quite good for a lot of the time, although he was pulling like the Arian Foster that instead of digging for that like extra yard or two, he was just, you know what? I'm going to keep myself healthy and just run out of bounds on this one. But it was Malcolm Brown who's getting all this goal line work. Now, one was a Malcolm Brown drive that he was just in the game for, and that seemed to be how that they were, that's how they were doing. And they just got to the red zone there, and that is when Brown took over and scored the touchdown. The other one was a fumble that occurred, and they put Brandon of the game over Gurley, and he scored a second touchdown. Then we'll talk about, again, the best pickups at running back for the week, but is Malcolm Brown their goal line back, or is this just how this game actually shut down? Like, I, I don't, I, I'm having a tough time wrapping my mind around it. Like, I don't think that it's going to be like, oh, every time they get inside the five-yard line, Malcolm Brown's going to be in the game. Like, Gurley's going to get some touchdowns. But does this concern you more than anything? I mean, this is like C.J. Anderson part two, you know, 2019. Like, that's kind of what it felt like here. Lynn. you know, we're watching the games and, you know, the Rams are rushing in for a touchdown. It's like, oh, awesome. Oh, no, wait, that was Malcolm Brown. Like, what is going on? And but he only you know he only played on twenty six point four percent of the snaps, which really came out to nineteen. But yeah, he got all the goal line work. And you know at this point you just can't trust the Rams injury reporting at this point because you know Gurley's healthy. You know Gurley's in a good spot. And then even Gurley himself, he was asked, "How did you feel about splitting up the work with Malcolm Brown?" He said, "It felt good." Okay, well it doesn't feel good to us who you know are are putting our first round picks into you. You know that's that's where it gets a bit concerning here. And you know. Week one, again, you might as well call it, you know, preseason week five or whatever it is, because that's kind of what it feels like with some of the, you know, how these guys look, you know, <clears throat> Dante Moncrief. But it's just, it, it's concerning to see it come right out of the gate. Like if Gurley was super healthy and Gurley was back to how, you know, they said he was and feeling good, then why isn't he getting the goal line work? Like that's kind of been his, his MO. Like he's been that dominant guy in the red zone. And now he doesn't even really get any opportunities. That's, that's a red flag for me here. So if they're going to really split these running back shares up um, long-term, it's probably better for Gurley's health, but you know, it makes him for a dicey play on a week to week basis. As he's, I mean, I don't want to say he's going to be matchup, you know, um, a matchup play, but at this point, it's when we start seeing something else kind of where I'm putting him right now. Yeah. I, um, he's not going to be like an RB one week after week. If this is how the situation continues to go, but he, he averaged seven yards per carry. He ran six routes, only had the one target. That was the concerning part. Cause when we think about what Todd Gurley optimally is going to be, he's the guy that gets all the goal line work. He's the back that's used out of the backfield. He's basically what Christian McCaffrey is now. Christian McCaffrey is just the new Todd Gurley. So you have to think of him down in this other tier. Like if Nick Chubb scores the touchdown and uh, Hilliard doesn't steal it from him, all of a sudden we're, like people aren't panicking about Nick Chubb and Hilliard's out with a concussion now anyway, that I don't think that it's going to be a big deal, but just looking at the snap shares, what really stuck out to me is you want to target those guys that have above a 75% snap share. Those are your workhorse guys. And there are so few of them this week. Chris Carson, 77%, Austin Eckler, 75%, Marlon Mack, 76%, uh, Le'Veon Bell, a hundred percent. C. McSee, Christian McCaffrey, 100%. So that, that's always good. Dust, uh, I was going to say Dustin Johnson. David Johnson, uh, 87%. And then it's real dicey. Barkley, 80%. Fournette, 86%. We'll see what happens tonight with Kamara. Maybe Duke Johnson can find himself up there. But 
the more we get into the season, it feels like some of these situations are going to be a bit more solved, except for maybe the Eagles situation, because the Eagles situation in the backfield happened is exactly how you would think it would go. Sanders, 48%, Sproles, 31%, Howard, 23%. Even Corey Clement got on the field for a few snaps. So it didn't really matter. Like, it's impossible to start any of these guys. They scored 30-plus points, and none of these guys did anything. Yeah, I, I mean, the Eagles running back situation, I just, I don't even touch. Like, when I saw that Darren Trolls was starting, I was just like, and this is why you don't go in and frustrate any of these guys. Like, you know, I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you are with football. I don't know how much of a good analyst you are. You didn't tab Darren Sproles to start this game. It, it wasn't happening. But, you know, the Eagles are a tough team. The uh, Patriots are usually a tough team. It's just, you know, like you mentioned, there's not that many guys that are really that true workhorse role. And if you are one of those guys, well, you're going to pay up for them on a week-to-week basis. So it's one of those things that you're just going to kind of strike gold with the running back position. I mean, we have the no running back movement who is very strong on Twitter. You know, they got their own t-shirts and everything, but it's just running back is one of those most, I think, most fragile position in football because of injuries and whatnot in, you know, matchups. So it's, if you're not getting one of those handful of guys, it's kind of a crapshoot on a week-to-week basis. Uh, number one waiver wire pickup for next week is going to be your internet connection because it's absolute trash. So you need to work on that. You get yourself hardwired in, pal. Which is amazing because I'm at the DK studio. Like, you think it would be top-notch, but apparently not. Yeah, you need to get them like, you'd be like, listen, set me up. You use the different camera. Use the good internet. Uh, they're giving you the scrub internet. I'm not I'm not going to lie to you. I know. We're going we're gonna to have to work with it. I'm, I'm going to have to talk with the higher-ups after this one. Yeah, I mean, if they're watching right now, you just go and you give Steve some better internet, all right? So <laughs> it, what is okay, what, what is a more accurate statement? If because we, we have to talk about some of these top-end players who wildly underperformed. Are you concerned about, like, Devontae Adams? Because I'm not. Like, Dave, the David Montgomery with Mike Davis situation in the backfield and Cohen playing the slot, at least for the moment, and still being on the field 70% of the time. That is more concerning to me than big-name guys that actually underperformed uh, in most circumstances. But, like... I thought that Jameis was going to be a very good fantasy asset coming into the year, and it's one week. And we've seen Jameis have absolute terrible weeks uh, before. But, yeah. like, are you concerned about him? Like, if it was this point moving forward, would you rather have Jameis or Lamar Jackson? Because the answer is probably Lamar. Uh, I think it would have to be Lamar because, I mean, at least Lamar has a safe floor on a week-to-week basis. I mean, you don't really have that with Jameis. And, you know, yesterday kind of just proved that. I mean, this was one of the highest projected totals on the week. This is where everybody was going to be. You know, Chalk Jameis is always a dangerous situation, especially when he's the most, you know, one of the most expensive quarterbacks on the week. But what you're really concerned about is that, you know, we thought we were going to see a different Winston. You know, Bruce Arians takes over. You know, we're going we're gonna to fix Jameis Winston. We have all these puzzle pieces. We're going to put it together. And he just kind of looked like the same old Jameis against a defense, no less, that barely could generate a turnover last year against the 49ers. Absolutely amazing to see them, you know, basically double their season total in four quarters of football yesterday. It was, it was amazing. But that's just kind of what happens with Jameis. I mean, he is your profile for a boom or a bust quarterback on a week-to-week basis last week was the bust and then when nobody's on him he'll go boom because that's just how cruel fantasy football can be on a week-to-week basis but yeah if you know push came to shove and you ask me who I'm rather going to take at least it's Lamar because even if he can't get it done through the air I can at least rely on him to rush in for a touchdown rush for 80 90 maybe 100 yards on a week-to-week basis he just gets it done so Lamar, we like Jameis is just going to be kind of iffy. If you have him, you just kind of play him DraftKings wise. It's going to be a better situation, but like 
They play on the short week against Carolina. You put the Rams. Where did you have the Rams in your power rankings? Like number four or something like that? Five. Number five? Goff did not look good yesterday. I I hate to tell you. He didn't. But what I like is that when when Cup is in the lineup, they're a whole different offense. Like their yards per pass attempt goes up almost three when he's in the lineup. Like he cup alone, it just makes Goff a better quarterback because that's the guy he can rely on in the red zone. We've seen it over and over again. Like when, when he needs somebody cup is continuously there, you know, Brandon cooks is a boomer bust option. Robert Woods, you know, has a safe floor, but you know, he doesn't really have like that big game potential on a week to week basis. Cup is that guy for him. And, you know, if the rumors are tr- true, I didn't really notice it that much yesterday, but you know, he's supposed to supposedly running faster than before his ACL was torn and all that. So that's going to be his go-to guy. And for someone that's his go-to guy who consistently gets open in the red zone, that's a plus, you know, we didn't see it yesterday. I don't think we could have tab cup for, you know, a great game yesterday, just coming back, you know, didn't play much in the preseason. So I'll give him a couple more weeks, but yeah, it was a little concerning to see Goff not throw as well in a game that really, they, they posted 30 points. Like you think he did. Okay. But all came on the ground. It wasn't because of Goff. Yeah. And it's weird. Like when you look at sort of the pace stats for the week, Carolina played one of the fastest paces. Now a lot of it had to do with them being down in that game. And it, it's not, you need to adjust for, I, you have to adjust for what the game circumstance is when you start looking at pace stats. But here's something I found really interesting. Looking at the next gen stats, the players that face an eight running backs, at least that face an eight man box the most so far. And this is probably why Detroit ended up tying in the game. So CJ Anderson and carry on Johnson faced the most eight-man boxes of any running backs this week. C.J. Anderson ran into an eight-man box 72% of the time. on Johnson, 56% of the time for a very glorious 3.2 and 3.1 yards per carry. Maybe just you know, fake it to them and continue to throw to Hawkinson over and over or someone else from like five yards away from the line of scrimmage and maybe you'll ice the game that way instead of just running into the one thing that they want you to do. Dalvin Cook had a tremendous amount of success. Uh, he faced the third, ma- third most amount yeah. of eight-man boxes boxes 48 percent of the time and still was able to break off two touchdowns and 111 yards on the ground so i like that other than that it was derrick henry uh miles sanders saquon barkley christian mccaffrey and austin eckler what were the big things that stood out to you that you weren't expecting from week one i like for me like I thought the Bills' defense was going to be good. Maybe it's a product of the Jets' offense is not as good as maybe they were advertised to be, but they were, I mean, they returned 10 starters. They add a first their first-round pick to that defense, so it's a pretty good unit to start off with, but they were swarming yesterday. Safe space, Sam, had no time to throw. It was excellent news. No, <laughs> no, and when he did, he looked awful. Like, he did not look good at all. You know, Bell looked okay. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't the best matchup for the Jets anyways. Like, I think the Bills' defense on a week-to-week basis is pretty underrated. Like, you think of some of the top defenses in the league, like the Baltimores or the Seahawks or whatnot. The Bills don't really get brought up, but, like, they're pretty solid, you know, from top to bottom, it feels like. like and I think yesterday kind of was a good indication about that. Um, my biggest thing I was surprised about was, um, uh, Razor Andy Dalton. Uh, did anybody see that coming? Like 418 yards, uh, 25.7 DK fantasy points, two passing touchdowns. Like I, I figured he would have to throw a lot in this game. Cause you imagine the Seahawks were going to be ahead and you know, Dalton was going to have to air the ball out, but I think that's the best Dalton we've seen in a long time. And I don't want to get sucked back into him, but I mean, he's got a good matchup in week two. Like, am I going to really start doing this again? Like it, 
I, I was genuinely shocked. Like he looked pretty damn good yesterday. Yeah, I don't know really what to make of it. And it was minus Glenn as well. So their offensive line, while not good to begin with, was even worse yesterday against a team that not at 100% on their defensive line with their pass rush, but you'd think that he'd be just under constant pressure. But like the second John Ross touchdown, it was like a mistimed leap by the DB that was like, it was an excellent throw. It got over his head. But if the Seahawks were just a bit more patient, that's a pick going back the other way. So sometimes it's, it's a very marginal difference between a really good play and a really bad play and what a stat line ends up looking like. But I thought it was going to be Willis that would have the breakout game. I think it was Drooby on the show last week that was big up in John Ross. Maybe it was, I know I was on the fantasy pros podcast. It was Bobby Sylvester was hyping John Ross. I was like, John Ross, give me a break. He's probably going to pull his groin halfway through the first quarter. Well, I, I think it makes sense, though. Like, you think, like, Boyd's going to get all the primary coverage in this yeah. spot. They're going to be down and they have to throw. Ross is just going to be starting on the outside, just lingering around. You know he has that big play potential. It, it's almost like if you're playing Showdown tonight, like Ted Ginn. It could, I mean, he's always good at home. You put him on the fast track. The back end of the Texans' defense isn't very good. He can get behind that D. But he's one of those guys that could have the John Ross type of game that we just saw from yesterday. Deshaun Jackson basically had that same game as well when you have these sort of speedsters but you know how it goes the other way that it's just like zero points and you, you kind of have to to weight that risk aversion if you're playing for upside you always play these guys if you're playing for consistency it's probably not the best move no i mean that and that is like you know how you preach tournaments like tournaments you are playing these guys you're not playing these guys in cash because you can't rely on them on a week-to-week basis like ted Ginn is, is a perfect example like he might get three targets a game, but he could end up with 70, 80 receiving yards because he has that one deep uh, uh, deep ball downfield that he catches for, for a touchdown. Like, it's just those things that you have to consider when playing tournaments and differentiating yourself uh, in tournaments or in cash. But, yeah, I totally agree with that. So you mentioned Cincinnati has a good matchup this week. I'm not so sure of that because – I was actually quite impressed with the 49ers defense. Now, I don't know if it's because you know, Jameis is terrible and it just made them look really good, but they were attacking Jameis all day long. They were getting into the backfield. They were creating havoc for him and really getting him off his spot and just forcing him into, hey, you don't have to like force Jameis into terrible decisions, but he was, he was forced into enough just to kind of chuck it up that I, I thought they did a really good job. And I'm wondering if, I mean, I don't think that the 49ers defense is better than the Seahawks defense, but it does look markedly improved. I mean, no, it definitely doesn't. I mean, the bar was very low from last season anyway. So it's not like they had to do much to improve from last year. Just the difference with Winston and, and Dalton is that Winston just makes these bonehead plays. Dalton doesn't necessarily do that. He's just not that great. I guess you could say like, like he's an average quarterback, but but, you know, obviously, from what we saw yesterday, I mean, Boyd is a very capable receiver. Ross is a very capable receiver. Like, it doesn't, it's not like he has these bad receivers surrounding him. You know, Winston only has no excuse. I mean, anytime you have Mike Evans on your team or Chris Godwin, who had just such a mismatch against, his, uh, against the defense, like, he should have had such a bigger game. But Winston just can't figure it out. Like, it's unbelievable how someone with so much potential just can't figure it out at this level. At least with Dalton, if he's going to have a bad game, it's just because, you know, he couldn't hit his guy. Not necessarily because he was making these bonehead moves like Winston does on a week-to-week basis. So, I do kind of like Dalton's matchup for this week. But you're right. The 49ers defense looked a hell of a lot better, barring it was against the Buccaneers. You know, as the season goes on, we'll really see, you know, test them against better teams. But I, 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 I 
still think Dalton is he's dirt cheap. Like that's the other thing too, is that, you know, for a value quarterback, I don't think is a bad option. Do we expect a rebound from Baker Mayfield in week two? Because there were times in this game where he looked maybe like the worst quarterback in football. Then he made like two or three throws. Like he had one where I think it was like a third and 13 and he eluded like three defenders. He was rolling out to his left and he took like a quick step back plant, planted himself and just fired to Jarvis Landry for a first down. You're like, Oh, I, that's the Baker that we need to see every single play. So is it a consistency thing with him? Are the Titans better than we thought? Cause I'm not entirely sure about that, but heading into week two, I know that people just want to trash Baker and deservedly. So he looked, like I said, fucking terrible. However, against this jets team that Josh Allen kind of had his way with when he wasn't turning the ball over, like they gained almost 400 yards on offense. Like it's not like the bills offense was like putrid in this game, just cause they only scored 17 points. Like they were actually moving the ball. Well, like one of his interceptions bounces off Cole Beasley's hands. Uh, the center basically fumbles one of the fumbles that he ended up with. They credit it to Josh Allen. And then there were you know, other Josh Allen type things where he, he just did Josh Allen bonehead things where I have the best arm in the world. I'm just going to fire the ball probably to the other team. But I think you can move the ball on the Jets pretty easily. And CJ Mosley, I'm not sure what his status is going to be for week two. Obviously, he missed most of the second half against the Bills that maybe Baker is in a decent rebound spot here. I just don't know how much faith I have in it. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing is, too, is is the hand injury because, you know, I know he went for x rays after and didn't really reveal anything he had like a soft uh wrap on his hand when he left the stadium last night so obviously something to monitor but yeah I mean he looked terrible I mean when he was forced out of the pocket like he just looked like a chicken with his head cut off like he, I, I feel like he didn't know what to do with himself which is amazing because of, with the amount of talent uh that's surrounding him here too and it's just you know the Browns only opened up as uh two and a half favorites like I, if they had a good game yesterday I think that number would have been a little bit more but I was surprised at how low the total was but you know, from a DFS perspective, it feels like it should be a good bounce back spot. Like you said, Josh Allen had a really good game against them yesterday. They really don't pose any threat. Like, I wish Buster Screen was still on the team, because then at least I could know I could pick on him, whoever, you know, he ends up covering. But just the, the, the Jets just did not look good. And like, you know, for Adam Gase's debut, you know, obviously not what uh, he expected or wanted to see, but it was just, I think they're going to be a team you're going to pick on moving forward. Like, if there was a matchup that we thought that maybe they could kind of bully uh, a team around, it might've been the bills, but yeah, I, I think this is a decent bounce pass bounce back spot for Mayfield barring. He's okay. Health wise. So we'll just have to watch the practice reports as he uh, play the Monday game. So he does have a little bit of extra rest. Yeah, that's true. He does have the extra day. So you're going to have to kind of wait on that. I'm sure he's probably going to play. He ended up finishing the game. So it's not that big of a deal. But again, I, a lot of the Jets offensive woes could just be a product of the Bills defense being really good. They were basically saying to Adam Gase and Sam Darnold, like, you know what you should do? every play throw to Jamison Crowder. He somehow ended up with 14 catches and still didn't hit the hundred yard bonus on DK. Unbelievable. <laughs> like talk about inefficient. You get 17 targets, you catch 14 of them and you can't even get the goddamn bonus. Are you shitting me? I could not believe that when I looked at the box score and saw he was sitting at 99, like, so he just basically did nothing with the receptions. Like he would catch and then it's over. Like it was remarkable. Like only Jamison Crowder could end up with a line like that. Truly, truly remarkable. But he's going to end up being one of the most popular guys on the waiver wire, no doubt. 
Oh, for sure. Actually, he didn't even end up making the waiver wire column because he's owned in more than 60% of the leagues that uh, he was drafted in a lot of spots because this is what we envisioned Jamison Crowder's role in this offense would be like. We were talking about on the Sunday morning show, like 4100 bucks, like play Jamison Crowder because... A, Robbie Anderson is dinged up with us calf injury. He's going to draw Tredavious White or even double coverage. Like, the Bills are not letting him get behind the defense. So, where else is the ball going to go? It could go to little Quincy, but he sucks when he's on the outside. So, whoever is playing the slot for the Jets is going to have a role here. So, I wouldn't expect 14 catches every week. But, like, if you're in the realm of, like, I always think of Crowder as, like, a 6-for-66 guy. And that's sort of like his floor almost every single week. And now I know that's not his floor because he's going to have his four for 41 type games. But like, you know, he's going to get enough targets and easy targets. That he's going to pull in these receptions. If he scores a touchdown in this game, like it's gigantic. So I'm curious to see what his like price elevation is going to be to week two in the showdown contest. I- I'm kind of mad he's not actually on the main slate. Right. And, and you look at the Jets schedule coming up, too. They have two games against the Patriots over the next five weeks. They're actually one of the worst in the league against the slot. Uh, slot receivers last year. So, so at least if you're going to hold on to him for a little while, like those would be the type of matchups I would plug him in because when he's in the slot, especially like I said, against the Patriots in a game where I'm sure they're going to be down, like those are good opportunities for him, especially against, you know, really any team against the Patriots. It was so poor in that realm last season. So at least he's got some good uh, favorable schedule coming up. Do you know, well, I'm going to spoil my uh, QB pickups. I don't do like QB pickups for the season. Everyone kind of has their QBs, but a lot of people just enjoy to stream. Josh Allen against the Giants is like a play, right? Like Josh Allen turned the ball over four times yesterday and scored 20 DK points. <laughs> like he's incredible. Right. I mean, but, but that's what it is. He's like Lamar Jackson Jr. Like he can afford to have those turnovers or those mistakes because he'll just get it done on, on the, uh, on the ground. And he looked pretty good when he was throwing the ball too. Like he, like we saw that near the end of last season. If it was like, if we can just get a full season of this from him, like he'll be like a legit quarterback option to use on a week to week basis. And like, you know, obviously the, I don't know, like I, I'm always back and forth on, on the giant secondary. Like it looks okay at sometimes and other times just an absolute mess, but you know, you could say that about a lot of teams, but I just feel like, like that's a pretty good matchup to stream him. If you're going to do that. Um, you know, and obviously a game that they're most likely going to be playing ahead to as well. There's definitely nothing wrong with that. Yeah, they might be. The, the Bills are just a weird team in general. Yeah. Like, like you watch Josh Allen. Like, I, I recommend everyone do it. Like, just watch, tune into some Bills games when they're on offense. Josh Allen will drop back and he'll throw the ball. And you have no idea if it's going to be... Like he, he'll just take this huge windup. It could go three feet in front of him. It could be batted down at the line of scrimmage. It could go 90 yards down the field. Or he could just be throwing to basically an empty part of the field or just the other team. Like you have no idea what's going to happen every time he drops back. It's really intriguing. All right, it's must-watch TV, I'm telling you. I love watching Josh Allen. But when I look at their backfield, Singletary looked really, really good. He played 70% of the snaps. But they basically didn't run in the first half, so those snaps were kind of irrelevant. At least they threw to him out of the backfield. Gore only played 23% of the snaps. But when it came closing time to run it down the stretch to close that game out, they felt good about this ball security of Frank Gore, and that's who they were handing the ball to. And I think Singletary obviously is the guy to own. He's the guy to play in fantasy. I worry about his upside for the purpose that the Bills might not just run a whole bunch. And if they do run, Josh Allen might be that guy. And we saw when they got in close, who stole the goal line touchdown? Josh Allen. Like, that's not good for your fantasy outlook. No, like they, I think they're very similar to the Eagles where it's just like you really just can't trust one guy on a particular week because they just move it around so much. And like, yeah, Frank Gore is still very much a 
option in this offense. Like you said, I mean, he ended up with 11 carries last night. I mean, it wasn't very effective. It was only for 20 yards. So he was barely going anywhere where he had the ball, but they still like him enough that they gave him 11 carries. So yeah, Singletary is definitely the guy to own, but it's morally going to be matchup based. Like it's kind of, like I said, it's kind of with the Eagles. Like you never feel good about landing on one guy in this offense. And then Josh Allen too, he's just going to steal some of those rushing attempts on his own too. So it's not, you know, they wouldn't be my first choice on a week to week basis, but you know, especially with buys coming up and all that, like he'll be a guy that you can plug in. Uh, last thing, the other big standouts to me that I wasn't expecting, uh, I was just praying that the Colts were going to cover that game. And thanks to an immaculate <laughs> interception uh, at, towards the very uh, one-handed interception that they were able to do that for me. And shout out Marlon Mack for breaking a big run because I thought everything was lost after Vinatieri kept missing extra points and field goals. But both the Chargers and the Colts run defense looks atrocious. Oh, just absolutely awful. Like, I, like, like I think Marlon Mack would have a decent game, but I didn't expect him to go almost 200 yards against the Chargers. And like, you know, Jacoby Brissett is, you know, he, he's an okay quarterback, but I mean, he spread the ball out pretty well. Like Hilton had 87 yards, Funches before he ended up breaking his collarbone, which I didn't even know until this morning. Uh, he had 32 yards. Kane had 35 yards. Like, he was spreading the ball out well, and the, the Chargers just had no answer for it here. And then, obviously, the monster, monster game for Eckler. Like, I tried to be cute. I ended up going no Eckler. Well, I'm sorry, very little Eckler. Mostly Justin Jackson. That did not work out too well. Um, but, yeah, they just, like, it, it just looked like an offensive punch-out on both sides. They were just absolutely taking charge of, of each other's weaknesses. And I think that's going to be a big problem for both teams um, as we go down the season because both these teams have a pretty tough schedule the rest of the way. Like, these aren't teams that have an easy schedule, like someone like the Patriots or whatnot. They have a pretty tough schedule uh, the rest of the way. So I think that's going to end up being a big problem for both sides. 20 out of every 1,000 households were burglarized in 2017. 83% of burglars admitted that they specifically looked to see if there's an alarm. And what's crazy is that only one in five homes actually have home security. Maybe because most companies really don't make it all that easy. It's expensive, it's confusing, it takes too much time, it's a hassle. That's why Simply Safe is my top choice, hands down, because Simply Safe protects every door, window, and room with 24-7 professional monitoring. They make it easy. There's no contract, hidden fees, or fine print. It's won a ton of awards from CNET to the New York Times wire cutter. Boom. Prices are always fair and honest as well. Around-the-clock monitoring is just $15 a month. But one thing that truly makes Simply Safe stand out is their video verification technology. When other home security systems are triggered, a lot of the time police assume it's a false alarm and the call goes to the bottom of the list. But not with Simply Safe. Using their video verification technology, they are able to visually confirm that a break-in is happening, allowing police to get to the scene 3.5 times faster than any other home security companies. And for my listeners, Simply Safe has a huge deal going on right now. Go to simplysafe.com slash mayo and get free shipping and a money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash mayo today. Simplysafe.com slash mayo. Let's jump into the week one waiver wire running back ads. If we look at the substantial injuries sustained at running back from week one, Joe Mixon exited the game with an ankle injury. It looks like that might cost him a few weeks. No word on that so far. Tevin Coleman 
Also dealing with an ankle injury that he almost for certain will miss a few weeks. Then Dontrell Hilliard in the Cleveland backfield suffered a concussion after stealing a Nick Chubb touchdown. So we know with concussions, he could be back by, he could clear by next week. He could be back in eight weeks. We don't know. It's not like you're picking up Dontrell Hilliard anyway, but it, he was affecting Nick Chubb just a little bit. So the overall rankings at running back, I threw Gio Bernard in at number one. We know his pass catching prowess and we seen him in this spot before. Like it seems like at some point over the past five seasons, Gio Bernard has been the number one waiver wire running back pickup <laughs> at some point because the starter goes down and then, hey, it's just all Gio all the time. And then he'll wildly underperform in the game that he starts, but make it up with like eight catches for 33 yards. So you know, PPR players can love it. These are PPR rankings, if you're wondering. Malcolm Brown, number two, Chris Thompson, Raheem Mostert, uh, Justin Jackson, Justin Hill, Darren Sproles, Naheem Hines, Ronald Jones, and the judge, Ido Smith, who was in a pure split with Devonta Freeman. The other guys I threw on there were like Frank Gore, CJ Anderson. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to own Mike Davis to be perfectly honest with you. I don't know if any of these guys are priority pickups unless we find out that Joe Mixon is going to miss like four or five, six weeks. Uh, and it depends on the severity of this ankle, but like even with Mostert, you know, Braid is still there. Braid didn't, did not look good whatsoever, yeah. but that's always going to be a split, at least with Geo in this circumstance. If Mixon is out, it does seem like it's going to be 75% plus Geo. And that's what we're looking for. Yeah, I mean, when he started last year, uh, the two games that he started, he had at least 19 PPR points in those games. And then, you know, you, you look at what's coming up here. And, you know, when he's off the field, when Mixon's off the field, Cincinnati passed 73% of the time uh, when, when Mixon was off the field. So if Geo's going to get some of those passing down work, like that's kind of, you know, where you're going to get those PPR points, obviously. But, you know, nine touches uh, yesterday, 63 yards, wasn't a bad outing for him. But, like, you're right. It feels like every single year there's a, there's a week where it's like, yeah, we got to go get Gio Bernard again because there's an injury and Gio's going to be that RB1. Um, so I, I, I think he's the best one out of the group here. I think he's a – I wouldn't say he's a priority because I think overall I think the running back waiver wire options are, are pretty weak overall. But, you know, Gio has the capabilities of being that good starter when they need him to be. But obviously once Mixon comes back, he's going to be scaled back immensely uh, because obviously Mixon's the number one guy here in the offense. Yeah, you, I talked about Malcolm Brown a little bit. Uh, he didn't even crack 30% of the snaps. He has soared those two touchdowns, and we're not even sure if those were circumstantial or that was the design to make him the goal line back. All of a sudden, he could be deemed irrelevant in terms of goal line work if those just happen to be girly drives next week against the Saints. So with Brown, it's very clear it's not Daryl Henderson. It's Malcolm Brown. Is that the guy that you want at least to be the second part of that chair or the handcuff to Todd Gurley? So if you're carrying Henderson, you might want to make the swap with Malcolm Brown. I don't think that he's someone you pick up and start, uh, especially no. next week and moving forward. But maybe he can carve himself out like a Latavius Murray type role that if you're desperate for a flex, you can do it. Like if you had to start someone this week, I have Chris Thompson at number three. He's probably uh, a better he's probably a better start in week two. But I think for my team long term, if I didn't have to start any of these guys, I'd want to go Brown over Thompson. The only thing with Thompson, though, is that, like, you're expecting the Redskins to constantly playing from behind. So and that's the case. Well, but good, that's the good, case good, good, good assumption. <laughs> but, but if that's the case, then Thompson's good for, you know, obviously in PPR because he's going to get those targets here. I mean, he only reached double-digit targets last year once against the Colts. Seven receptions, 68 yards, you know, obviously a good PPR play but you know you look at next week's against the against Dallas or six point favorites Dallas is there so I don't think Thomas is uh, I'm sorry Thompson is a bad pickup in this spot here especially when you know he's going to be fed these targets on a week-to-week -week basis so 
you know, for a team that's always playing behind, he's a perfect guy to pick up. Yeah. So, and like Monster, if Breda gets hurt, then it's all him all the time. But even against Cincinnati, I, I just don't know how that's going to work out. Like the, the, the crop of running backs to pick up just isn't huge this week. Justin Jackson, now that we know that Gordon says he's going to hold out to like week six or week seven or week eight, that if anything happens to Eckler, then Justin Jackson's going to be the guy to take that role. But I think this is very clearly Eckler's job. Like, we, we knew that coming in. We thought it might be like a 60-40 split, something like that. But it might be even more pronounced because Eckler looked excellent in week one. Now we need to figure out, is that because the Colts' run defense sucks or is it because Eckler's really good? We'll find out, I guess, in the coming weeks. But, like, start Eckler with confidence at this point. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, like, this drama with Melvin Gordon seemed like it's just going to draw out even more. And, like, if there was ever a worse time to try, try to you know make a holdout it was you know week one against the Colts because yeah Eckler just looked absolutely fantastic and you know Justin Jackson you know we always keep saying he had that workhorse role in college blah 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 we don't give a crap about their college stats at the end of the day but you know if if Eckler is going to be that guy that's going to be getting the PPR points getting the receptions taking the goal line work like yeah he's going to be that all-around guy for the Chargers so I mean yeah definitely start Eckler with confidence here I think if you didn't start him this week because you're worried about Justin Jackson, this game solidified why Eckler is going to be the guy who's getting the majority of the snaps here. And there's, you know, no looking back at this point, but Jackson is a good handcuff to have. I will say that. I mean, he has, he can catch the ball. We have seen him take a ton of carries before. Uh, so I, I think he's someone to keep an eye on because even with the limited carries he had, his yards per carries are excellent almost every single time he takes the field. So when he does get the ball, he is very efficient with it. So Gio Bernard is the one pickup at running back that you probably need to go make, depending on the severity of this Joe Mixon injury. If Mixon's going to be back, then don't go pick up. I mean, you might want to pick him up, but you're obviously not going to play him next week. Wide receivers, the injury report, a bit more extensive on this front. Tyree Kill, shoulder injury. He's expected to miss at least multiple weeks. So think of him at least out two weeks. It could be longer than that with the shoulder problem. Mike Williams hurt his knee towards the end of the Chargers game. He does look like he'll be okay to play in week two against Detroit, so I wouldn't worry too much about him. Juju hurt his toe towards the end of the Sunday night football game against the Patriots. You have to monitor his status. He should be okay by the time week two comes along. Uh, Albert Wilson dealing with a calf injury, and everyone on the Dolphins just might want to quit football, so that is something to really monitor, and if that's the case, then Preston Wilson or Preston Williams might end up getting a lot more work uh, than we've seen. And Devontae Parker actually looked pretty good week one, too, although they, they were down by 9,000 points, so I don't even know how much Baltimore was trying by the end of it. Uh, Devin Funches, like you mentioned, broke his collarbone, so he's out indefinitely. That opens up some room for Dion. It's got to be Kane. So watch out for him. Not my main man, Paris Campbell. A.J. Green didn't play. He's still going to miss a couple of weeks. Trent Taylor was doing that foot injury. I'm not... You'd be surprised how little information there is on what Trent Taylor is up to. But without Trent Taylor, Debo Samuel, the rookie, was actually the one who led the 49ers in snap share at wide receiver. Now, that didn't translate to anything fantasy relevant, but worth noting moving forward. And David Arm, uh, David Arm, David Moore and his arm injury missed week one as well. So if he eventually does come back, I'm interested to see if that hurts DraftKings Metcalf at all, or if it actually, you know, maybe propels Tower Lockett into getting, I don't know, like five targets. That would be kind of nice. We'll see about that, though. So those are the injuries, the actual pickups. And this is where I'm kind of torn. 
Hollywood Brown, I have at number one. John Brown at number two. Crowder, I did put in Crowder. There he is. He's number three. Uh, John Ross, Michael Gallup, DK Metcalf, Devontae Parker, Terry Mc- Terry McLaurin, DJ Chark, Cole Beasley, and Geronimo Allison I have at number 11. I'm just going to give up on him yet. Um, AJ Brown, Keyshawn Johnson, uh, Debo Samuel, Miko Hardman, Chris Conley, Deion Kane, Randall Cobb, Corey Latimer. It's a, you don't want to overreact too much, but it does seem like Hollywood Brown, just the talent that he flashed. Now, the big thing is he only had four targets. He caught all of them. Lamar was on point, but we know this is against a terrible defense. Fortunately, they get a terrible defense in week two with Arizona coming to Baltimore. I just don't know about the trust level. Obviously, he's an absolute must-own. You go out and get Hollywood Brown right now. But on a week-to-week basis, like in week two against Arizona, I'm thinking about my wide receiver rankings coming to the week. There's no bye weeks. Like, does he crack your top 25? Does he crack your top 30? Does he crack your top 40? Like, he's going to be a very di- – like, this entire offense is going to be very difficult to figure out, I think. that's And that's the hardest part because, you know, like I said, like this is just a Lamar Jackson that we've never even seen before. Like, when you go back to when he was playing in college, he started 36 games. When, in the games that he threw at least 15 pass attempts, he was under 60% accuracy in 20 of them. So it's not like this is a guy that's going to go out there on a week-to-week basis and be nailing his receivers week after week. Now, in terms of, like, the top wide out uh, to pick up, yeah, of course. Like, of course you would go and get this guy here. Got a good matchup next week against the Cardinals. Remember, no Patrick Peterson, no Robert Alford. So, like, their secondary is all banged up. So if there was another game for Lamar Jackson to kind of do that magic again, it would be this one. But, you know, on a normal week-to-week basis, it's just I feel like it's just going to be the Jackson-Mark Ingram show because this is an offense that was kind of built to run. They're obviously a run-heavy offense, a run-first offense. So I just feel like this was one of those games that it was like, it was amazing if you had some of these guys in a DFS lineup for the most part. Most of these guys are probably on your bench, and rightfully so, but – it's just going to skew the perception of the Ravens offense so much that I think people are going to go a little crazy here. And at the end, they're going to be like, oh, you know what? This wasn't the right move here. Lamar Jackson looked like a different guy yesterday. Now, was he playing an XFL team? I mean, that might even be too generous for the Miami Dolphins at this point. But his touch on these deep balls, he, he even the touchdown to Miles Boykin was essentially a play from blitz. He just kind of like backed up, backed up, backed up, backed up for 30 yards, just lobbed it to a guy who was wide open. And all it took for Boykin to get wide open was like one sidestep. And the Miami yeah. Dolphins defender was just like, yeah, screw it. I, I don't care anymore. This you is beyond. I, I don't get paid enough for this shit. So I'm worried about him like week to week. Like, just to juxtapose with someone like Jamison Crowder. Now, we don't think that Jamison Crowder is going to hit the yardage in the, well, at least the reception total that he did every single week. 17 targets, probably out of the realm of possibility. Like, if it was you and you had to make the pickup, who would be your number one guy? Because I think the upside lies with Marquise Brown. However, John Brown in this Bills offense is kind of the guy if they're going to be passing. So... I would go the absolute upside of Marquise Brown, but I don't think that John Brown is that far behind. No, it actually is John Brown for me. Like, you see what Josh Allen did last week. Like, he spread the ball around a lot. You know, 10 targets to Brown, 9 to Cole Beasley, 5 to Zay Jones. But they got a really nice schedule coming up. they got the Giants, the Bengals, the Dolphins. All over the next three weeks, all those teams are in there. I mean, Brown's a uh, total boom or bust option. But I think the perception that he's not that great of a receiver comes from him being with the Ravens last year because – you know, one, obviously when Lamar Jackson took over last year, you know, Brown was almost a non-factor. But when Flacco was in the lineup, when Flacco was a QB, if you remember that, because it's, you know, easily forgettable. But when 
Flacco was a QB for the Rave uh, for the Ravens. Brown was averaging 7.4 targets a game, 67.7 yards, uh, four touchdowns. And he was, you know, this was between him, Crabtree, and Willie Sneed. So he probably was considered the wide receiver one in that offense. So now he's in a better environment with a better quarterback and a, a pretty favorable schedule coming up. So I think it's definitely John Brown for the more consistent week-to-week production. Marquise Brown is definitely the more boom or bust option. But yeah, if there's a wide, wide receiver to pick up, I think it's actually uh, John Brown over uh, Hollywood. Uh, if we think about these guys in tiers of like, we mentioned like Gio is probably the only must pick up running back of the week that you have to go to your way to get. I think that Marquise Brown, John Brown and Jamison Crowder are really the only three wide receivers that you want to actively go out and get. Now the other guys, it depends on the size of your league. If you're going to 10 team league, you probably don't need to concern yourself with these guys, but which performance from week one that was really good. Are you buying into the most? Is it Ross? Is it Gallup? Is it Metcalf? Is it Devonte Parker? Is it McLaurin? Is it uh, the Chark attack? Chark of darkness. Paul, is that what we ended up going with? Or was it heart of Charkness? I don't remember. I also was seeing Heart, of, Char- Charkness. Heart of Charkness that, is what it was. That was one that was kind of um, – there was a lot going on. But, I mean, I, how can you feel good about the Jaguars' offense at this point? I mean, I, when they ran out that uh, – I, I can't even remember his name at this point. But when they ran him out here, I said, who in the hell is this guy? Oh, Gar- like, you listen, man. Gardner Minshew looked all right. Maybe the Chiefs' defense sucks. Oh, he did. He but, did yeah, oh, okay. You know what? You need to go to the for- food court. You need to pick yourself up a quick order of takeout of Minshew Walk. You'll be good yeah, to go. You right. might be you might be sleepy in thirty minutes, but you'll be good. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's just impossible to to uh, to feel good about the Jaguars right now, aside from Leonard Fournette. I mean, obviously, we don't know what we're going to get on a week to week basis. But yeah, Gallup looked great, and I mean, Prescott did too. And you know, again, do we are we going to see that week to week from Prescott here? He's usually not that guy that throws for over four hundred yards on a week to week basis. But I mean, you know, there was actually a lot of hype for Gallup coming into this matchup. I wasn't buying into it. I wasn't seeing it that much, but watching Gallup play yesterday, I was like, okay, maybe I, this is someone that I was just looking over at this point. Maybe this was somebody that I had overlooked. But, you know, Gallup has always kind of been overshadowed in the offense because it's just been other guys in the pecking order, right? Like there was Amari Cooper, there was Cole Beasley, who, you know, not really high in the pecking order, but he used to get the targets there. So I think actually this is a nice spot for Gallup to kind of show what he's got here in this Cowboys offense. Yeah, it's just, is this a product of them playing the Giants, though? It very well could be. I I mean, there's no no doubt about that. But at least it wasn't like, like with Crowder, like he got all those receptions, but he could just do nothing with them. You know what I mean? At least Gallup was getting some production and some good throws from Prescott. Like I feel, I would feel better about Gallup uh, on a week-to-week basis and probably Crowder. I don't know about that. I think it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for that safety of floor and you want to play like a coward, like I do in some some leagues, like if you play in like a 14-team league, both these guys are probably owned, so that's probably a bad example. But like the deeper league you play in, banking on that PPR guy who's good for like the 12 points every single week versus the guy that once every three weeks is good for 25, but good for two in the other ones. And I'm not sure if Gallup is that guy. I just don't have a grasp of this offense. Like Zeke barely played half the snaps. Once he's back in there full time and they're not blowing out the Giants what does this look like I don't know and I assume that Cooper's going to have a better year than Gallup but maybe Gallup made the leap from year one to year two underneath Kellen Moore they really figured out ways to get him going but everyone's talking about Kellen Moore's like oh he's really opened up this offense it looks great they played a shitty opponent and they've had the entire offseason to game plan for week one. We saw this with the Bears a lot the first few weeks of the season. Like, Matt Nagy is a genius, especially at the beginning of games when he was able to script all these plays. And the Bears' offense looked like a well-oiled machine. And the farther you got into the game, 
the worse that offense looked. I'm wondering that if this Cowboys offense looks a little bit different, uh, either both later in the games or just like week two, week three, week four, once the quality opponent goes up a little bit. Yeah, but see, and that's the thing too, which I was going to mention is that the Cowboys have such an easy schedule, like very, you know, very close now with Redskins, Dolphins, Saints, Packers, Jets, uh, Eagles, like they get a really nice schedule, at least, you know, from the uh, receiver's perception. And that's why I, I think I think Gallup is a really the one to target here. Like I, I get it. People are going to flock to Crowder. They see all those targets. They see all the receptions. Like he looks like a PPR monster. But I just think Gallup might be, you know, taking that leap, like you said, uh, in the new year here. Obviously, Cooper is the is the facto number one here. But Gallup has an opportunity to be the number two. And it's never a bad thing to have a team that's going to be consistently putting up points either. So I think Gallup, I, I just like Gallup for a number of reasons. But like I said, the schedule is also uh, on his side too as well. So from the back end of these guys, like I mentioned, what do you make of Miko uh, Hardman here without Tyreek Hill? Because everyone loved him in the preseason when we thought that Tyreek Hill was going to be suspended. Like, oh, Hardman. And he's like, he's the caveman. Miko Hardman. But he didn't do anything after yeah, it was the Sammy Watkins show for the right. entire game. But it's not like all of a sudden Hardman was just taking over that Tyreek Hill role. Now, maybe it's because they were up by a bunch by the time. I mean, they were up by a bunch by the time Hill left, but they got up by enough that they didn't have to start airing it out. Like if people are like worried about Travis Kelsey, like his three catches for 88 yards on eight targets is probably like the worst game he's going to have all year. Probably not the worst, probably like the second worst game. He'll have one like really abysmal one. But with Hardman, like, you probably go get him, but would you rather have him in the short term knowing that Hill is coming back or potentially take the chance on someone like Debo Samuel, who could be, I don't say the number one option, but at least the number one wide receiver, the number two option behind Kittle in San Francisco? Well, the reason why I'd probably rather take Samuel is because, like, what the hell happened to Dante Pettis yesterday? Like, this was a guy that they were like, oh, this is our number one receiver. And then, like, I don't even think he took a snap or he didn't see his first target. I can't remember which one it was until about five minutes left into the second quarter. Like, it, it, I, I think that just Pettis is just, they have no faith in him right now. Like he literally went from the wide receiver one to like the wide receiver four in about 20 minutes yesterday. It was absolutely amazing. And like, we keep hearing all these good things about Debo Samuel. He's one of the preseason heroes that we had earlier this year, but yeah, I, I was shocked that we didn't see anything from the chief side. Like, you know, with Hill out of the game, you started to expect to maybe see him get some more, but he just got absolutely nothing. And there was no reason not to give him the ball because they were ahead and all that. So it, it's a bit concerning, but, but with this like influx of whatever is going on with Dante Pettis, I think Samuel's a more attractive option here. Yeah, and he has, I mean, Pettis has a decent pedigree as well, but Samuel looks, he looked the part. Uh, at least he looks the part, and hopefully he can evolve into that. It's going to be tough because Jimmy G, even though they won, didn't look very good, to be perfectly honest with you. But maybe as the season goes along, he can take a bit of a leap forward. And, I mean, Jimmy G, maybe he just gets healthier. He develops a rapport with Debo, so he's someone to keep on the radar. A.J. Brown had one really long catch against, uh, he ended up uh, with three catches in the game, but and Corey Davis did nothing. I mean, I don't want to drop Corey Davis, but I really do want to drop Corey Davis. But now he's going to, like, suck me back in. Him and Adam Humphreys did nothing. It was Delaney Walker and A.J. Brown, and then them just running the ball up the gut until they finally found a screen pass that worked. And somehow they put up all the points in the world. Do you, like, Are you buying the Titans offense at all? Because it seems like a huge aberration to me. I'm totally in on Walker because that's like Mariota's security blanket. Like he didn't have that last year and now he's back and he's like, Oh, let me just reward you with two touchdowns. Like, I'm so happy to have you back. But like, that's just what it feels like. 
Like, like Mariota just loves Delaney Walker. Like, he could be 60 years old. He's like, yeah, we, we're going to need Walker out on the field if you don't mind. Like, he just loves that guy. And I'm not buying into the Titans offense as a whole, but you can't deny the Mariota, the Walker connection. Like, those two just seem to hook up week after week after week. And I'm, I'm okay with it. Like, I, I played Walker yesterday. I, I had almost 100% exposure to him because I, I love the matchup and he was dirt cheap and nobody was really talking about him to begin with. And, you know, obviously his day was salvaged by those two late touchdowns. But um, as a whole, I mean, the Titans offense is just – it's its whatever. You know, they'll probably suck you in a couple of weeks here and there, but on a week-to-week basis, it's they're, they're easily forgettable. Yeah, optimally what they want to do is just turn around and hand the ball off to Derrick Henry time after time and time right. after again. But so I'm curious to see in a situation where they're not up like they were in this game. Also, there's no team in the league except for maybe the Chargers and Steelers. I only kind of reference that because they played that really weird uh, score game. But, like – you see the most bizarre numbers on the screen when you see the Titans. Like, oh, they have they have 15 points all of a sudden. It's like, how do they have 15? How did they get to 15 points? And because it's the Titans, that can be any way possible. Yesterday, I think it was like a touchdown, a missed extra point, a safety, right. and a field goal or something like that. It's like stupid Titans. But if they're playing yeah. from behind, I'm curious to see how this how the target allocation actually goes because uh, I. They want to play this type of game. I mean, this type of game, obviously, they want to play. But these, like, kind of grinded out type of games, try to keep, try to muck it up, keep the score close, keep the pace of play really slow, and kind of throw the other team off a little bit. That once that's not the scenario, which might not even be all that often, so we probably don't need to talk about it all that much, that how that target distribution actually goes out. Does then it become Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys and Delaney Walker, and then A.J. Brown takes a back seat? I don't know. And A.J. Brown wears, like, the world's biggest shoulder pads for a wide receiver, or he he just physically has the world's biggest shoulders. I'm not quite sure, but it, he looks like he's wearing Legion of Doom type shoulder pads where everyone else is like basically wearing nothing. So they actually have maneuverability in the situation. But Walker is the one guy, I guess, outside of Derrick Henry in this offense that I would trust. I'm not buying into the I'm not getting sucked into the Mariota fool's gold, though. No, because once you get sucked into that, like, there's no coming back. Like, I don't know how many times I got sucked into Jarvis Landry last year. And, like, I always compare him to, like, he's like the spirit airlines of, you know, when you're flying. Like, it always sounds like a good idea before you do it. Then you get on the plane, you're like, well, this is actually terrible. I wish I didn't do that. It's just Mary Hoder is just not that guy, especially, like, with so many quarterbacks now who can do it with their legs. Like, he's one of the last options each and every week. I can't envision myself ever, like, needing to start a Mariota on a week-to-week basis. Uh, well, time to take a break to talk about our sponsor, Spirit Airlines. Oh, God. Steve, what are you doing to me? <laughs> Let's talk about tight ends. Uh, TJ Hawkinson is clearly the the must. I, I mean, I kind of whiffed on that one. I just did not think that he would have the type of role uh, that he had, at least in week one. I thought Noah Fant would be that guy, and he hasn't played yet, so we're, he has the ability to move up these rankings. I do update my column after Monday Night Football. So I have Hawkinson, Darren Waller, hardly newer. Mark Andrews, Vernon Davis, Jack Doyle. Hawkinson, Waller, and Andrews. I guess if Jordan Reed continues to sit, then Vernon Davis is a viable option. Uh, Jordan Reed did not play in week one with a concussion. He's questionable for week two. He may never play again. He might play next week. We really don't know. But as long as he sits, Vernon Davis is a live move here. Is is a week one overreaction to Hawkinson? Or is he going to be legit week to week? Or was this just a perfect spot for him? I'm just curious to remember when you and I had were on a show somewhere and I was hyping up Hawkinson and you were yelling at me and telling me how stupid I was because rookie tight ends don't do anything uh, in the NFL. 
Yeah, well, I mean, he's done it for one week, so and no one played him. So now we're in a circumstance where his stats don't even really count for you. So you have to have him from here on out. So do you want him from here on out? Like, would you rather have Hawkinson or Delaney Walker? Because the answer is probably Delaney Walker, isn't it? For now, but I mean... Well, who cares about for now? If I'm making a pickup, I'm not carrying two tight ends on my team. Well, there's no reason not to pick up Hawkinson. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't. Like, the difference with him is just, like, he just feels like he's more advanced than, you know, people who come into the NFL, these rookie tight ends, both in blocking and both in passing. Like, he made an absolute statement here. And it wasn't like he was getting, like, these cheapy catches either. Like, he was getting them. He was getting yards after the catch. Like, he just looks legit. And this is all the hype that we've been hearing about him. Like, we keep hearing about, you know, how good he is and how good his hands are. Like, that was a really good showing for him yesterday. And I, I so at this point, like, with the tight end position, it, it's, it always starts off so strong. And then we get into, like, weeks 9, 10, 11, and you're like, oh, God, I don't even know who to get at this point because it's just scraps that are left over. Like, Hawkinson is someone that I think you just have to go out and take because you really have nothing to lose here. At a position at the end of the day is pretty much crap to begin with from top to bottom, aside from guys like Kittle or whatnot. Like, I'm not saying Hawkinson's going to be one of the top tight ends in the league, but for a position that's pretty weak overall. And then, you, I mean, look at the rest of the list. You know, I'm going to go take Mark Andrews. Uh, no, like I have no trust in him in that Ravens offense. Darren Waller. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, you know, I, I'd want to see the Raiders first, but I think he just blows away everybody else on this list. And to get an opportunity to pick him up in week one, I th- after week one, I think it's something you just have to do. So we don't really talk about fab bidding on this show just because I find that the free agent acquisition budget is just so dependent league to league. Like, you know your league better than Steve or I do, uh, especially if you're playing with, like, your buddies. You know at least have a historical trend of how much they bid on certain guys or how hyped up they get. That's why I don't really try to rec- – I used to recommend dollar values and be like, well, in my league, we do it this way. It's like, well, I don't fucking care anymore. It just – it was a pain in the ass. So – You'll know that better than me, but like if you had a choice and like, let's say you had the number one waiver priority this week, Steve, I and mean, you didn't play with a budget, you just played with waiver priority and you had Gio Bernard, you had Hollywood Brown, John Brown and TJ Hawkinson were probably the four best pickups of the week. Which one would you take first in that circumstance? Now I know it could depend on team need. So let's just say you don't need anything in particular. You're set, but you want to use that on one of these four guys. Which one is it? I think it's got to be John Brown. I just think from a consistent level, I think like he's someone that we can rely on week to week. Like we don't know what we're going to get out of Hawkinson from a week to week basis. We don't really know what we're going to get out of um, um, uh, Hollywood on a week to week basis. Geo, we kind of know, but you know, but Geo's not going to be the starter, you know, in a couple of weeks when Mixon comes back. So I think it ends up being Brown after all, because like I said, Brown was a good receiver when Joe Flacco was under quarterback with the Ravens last year. So many people have it in their mind that he was just absolute trash because Lamar Jackson took over and he wasn't thrown to anybody. But if he's going to get this type of production with the Bills, like I don't see why you wouldn't go to him. He's obviously someone that's going to be involved in this line uh, in their offense on a week to week basis. So at least, you know, at this point, you're trying to make the decision. I think Brown's the number one. Uh, let's see. Jeff Wilson was promoted from the practice squad on the 49ers, thus confirming that Tevin Coleman is going to miss some time. So Breda, you can elevate a little bit up, but I still do think that is a split backfield uh, with Mostert and probably even Jeff Wilson at this point. They'll get Kyle Juszczyk back into the mix. And frankly, that offense isn't all that great. So maybe you don't want any other piece. Breda is the guy to own and probably play Mostert as the backup potential flex guy if you're moving forward. Let's talk some streamers, QB streamers for the week. I had mentioned Josh Allen. 
one. Uh, I just like he's a be- he's a much better. I think people always get it misconstrued when I talk about Josh Allen. He's an excellent fantasy quarterback. He's Tim Tebow esque. He's not a great real life quarterback, but uh, against the Giants, I think that's full of fantasy gold. So that's always great news whenever we start considering this. I have Stafford at number two against the Chargers. I don't really love anyone after Allen to tell you the truth. Like Darnold against Cleveland, that's a good spot. Jameis on the short week and. James can throw five touchdowns or he can throw five picks. I, I, you never know with him. Brissett at Tennessee, Mariota against Indianapolis. That might just be a game where both those teams run the ball over and over. Carr against Kansas City. Kansas City's defense did not look good. And then Gardner Minshew. Should I be moving him up? Like, I guess I'm going to wait to see what the Houston defense actually looks like in the spot, especially if they end up getting banged up in this game somehow. But like Minshew walk looked pretty good on Sunday. Uh, he's got some good facial hair, too. And obviously, that's always a plus in my book there. But uh, I think it's Stafford. I mean, we were just talking earlier about how bad the Chargers defense looked. Like, you know, the, the Lions offense for, you know, end up tying that game. But, you know, Lions offense was clicking last night. And, you know, obviously not so much with the running game. But, you know, Stafford, you know, he has those games every once in a while where he actually, you know, can get the ball in a receiver's hands. I, I love the move for Danny Amendola. I think that was one of the more underrated moves of the offseason just because, you know, he's a solid presence in the slot. And we saw him yesterday, you know, really go off here. And, you know, Matt Patricia is obviously very familiar with him with his time with the Patriots. So if there's a defense that I want to attack right now with some of those guys, if you're not going to take Josh Allen, I think Stafford's the way to go here. Now, are you going to be using Stafford on a week-to-week basis? And probably not. Like, no, he's probably- we, we, listen, we don't. We, I'm not even worried about talking about like legitimate quarterback pickups unless one comes up. You're like, yeah. oh, you need to own that guy. I'm just talking about week-to-week. Like, you. So, are you saying you would start Stafford over Josh Allen because that's pure insanity? That's you're like the Jamiroquai of the show. No, that's, no, no, no. That is virtual insanity if you think that. Yeah, we're, no, we're, we're not. We're definitely not saying that. But like, if Allen is not available, or is, uh, you know, Stafford is definitely number two. Allen is the number one. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that if they, if he's available and you can stream him, then absolutely Allen will be the number one. But Stafford, I think, is a very viable number two. Yeah, and for anyone who asks, like, why isn't Lamar Jackson number one? I hate to break it to you, but Lamar Jackson was drafted in every league. You can't just go pick him up. So that's why he's not number one in a fantastic matchup. Uh, and Kyler Murray is owned over the threshold, too, although I don't think you'd want to start. Do you think you should start Kyler Murray at Baltimore? Because I, I can't see that turning out well. No, absolutely not. I, I would have no faith in that. Like, unless I was playing like one of my buddies and he desperately needed a win, I'm not starting Carl Martin. You're giving, him a, you're giving him a cheap win. Be like, listen, I know you're going to go 0 and 13 this year. Yeah, why How about not? you no, just? Go, I'll let you go one and 12. Right. Why? Why not? You know, I'll help you out here a little bit, so you know, you know, don't have to deal with the embarrassment. All right. So, last thing: streaming defenses. Shockingly, Baltimore wasn't. 100% owned against Miami, which I found shocking. They're they're like 56% owned on ESPN at least. So I have them at number one uh, at home against Arizona. That's a really nice spot for them. Green Bay against Minnesota. Minnesota still can't block, and the Packers' defense might be legit. I'm not completely sure yet. Maybe it was just the Bears' offense, but they looked really good, and they're back at home here. The 49ers at Cincinnati. We already talked about them. The Panthers on the short week against Jameis. Let's, let's go with that. The Broncos at home against Chicago the Browns at the Jets. You can even do the Jets uh, at home against the Browns too, if you wanted to. Then the Chiefs at home against Oakland. It's just, you have to feel like that's a spot where the Chiefs are favored by a lot of points and you might get Derek Carr throwing the ball up 40 times. And if that's the case, you're going to want to start basically whatever defense is facing that. 
Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, just with, I mean, we don't even know what they're going to look like because everybody's been so busy about what's been going on off the field rather than on the field. But let's not take away from the fact that Derek Carr is one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. Now he has absolutely no receivers. Like we thought it was Antonio Brown and the rest of the gang. Now it's just the rest of the gang. Like if Tyrell Williams is your number one, uh, we got some issues here. I mean, nothing wrong with Tyrell Williams as like a number two or a number three, but he's not your number one. So yeah, obviously the Chiefs are a good one. I kind of like the Broncos after seeing that absolute dis, whatever you want to call the Bears offense on Thursday night, like Mitch Trubisky, I don't know what the hell was going on there. He looked absolutely awful. So to get a Denver uh, defense up against him in week two, that feels kind of enticing. I think that's one that I think I would be looking towards here. I mean, there is some other decent ones. Green Bay against the Vikings is not too bad. I mean, but the only thing is, like, we saw um, uh, Kirk Cousins only throw the ball, I think it was 10 times in that last game, and he ended up rushing a a touchdown in himself. So – you know, obviously the run heavy offense is, isn't great. You know, obviously we'd rather cousins throwing a little bit more if we're going to stream green Bay, in my opinion, I, I think the Broncos against the bears is the one to target though. Yeah. It's really hard to get a gauge on anything that happened with the Vikings. They were up 21, nothing so early that you know, you, when you don't have to throw, you're not going to throw. They also took the, they were the slowest paced team in week one, uh, milking the play clock down to an impressive average of 36 and a half seconds. Every single time. No wonder that game was over so quickly. Uh, so it was the it was the opposite of the Lions Cardinals game, which I think lasted eighteen hours. I'm not quite sure, but it just it went on until the start. Like it bled into the Sunday night football game. It went on so fucking long. So and just like I said, it, just, it killed me so badly. How can you be up eighteen and tie the game? Just cover the fucking three points. The two and a half points, actually. It's all I wanted. It's all I wanted. You had your shots and you you blew it. And it was so nice because I was like, oh, no, the Cardinals are going to score a touchdown here. And then they're not going to get the two and lose by two. And they'll still cover the spread on the hook. And I was like, oh, they got the two. This is perfect. Now the Lions can just march back down the field and kick a field goal. No, don't ask the Lions to march down and do anything unless it's like to dig their own graves because they suck. Matt Patricia should be fired. I'm just I'm throwing that out there right now. Like If there's still a bet that first coach to be fired, it's Matt Patricia. And I don't think it's close. He needs to be more of a meme. The faces he makes are so underrated. He's got some of the most, the best panic faces when he's on the sideline. I can't believe like nobody's like catching on to that. I, I might need to take that myself and start taking the initiative on that because he has some of the best faces when he's got when he's got the uh, the uh, playbook out of his face. He's got some amazing facial expressions. All right, let's talk about the Monday night football games here for a second. The Saints are minus six and a half now that opened at seven. The Texans are plus six and a half on the road, obviously. Do you have a lean on that game? Because I still like the Saints here. Now, uh, if we tally up the week one spread picks, Feinberg had two right, Cust had two right, and I think I have 11 right. So hopefully my heater can last into Monday (laughs) evening. So I might have to parlay the Saints and Broncos together. I don't know. But I still like the Saints here. It came down to the same thing. Like Everyone was picking a against Kansas City everyone picked against the Rams like we know these teams are good and we don't know if Carolina is good we don't know if Jacksonville's good just take one of the elite teams against them if you still think the Saints are an elite team they should cover the spread no I, th- I think they should too I mean obviously we want to see a lot uh, a little bit more of the Texans defense to really get a good gauge on this but just from what we know now six and a half feels like a fair spread for the Saints in this re- here at home in the dome here obviously you have to like that Drew Brees obviously 
you know, amazing at home here. So I, I like the six and a half spread. Uh, I do like that parlay of the Saints and the Broncos. I was actually going to bring that up. Uh, so I'm glad that you brought that up here because the, th- the minus three on the Broncos just feels too low. Uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm a little, I was a little shocked by that there, but I do like that parlay there. Yeah, are, are we getting sucked in with the Broncos minus two and a half at the Raiders? Like this is the later, this is Oakland's last home opener before they move to Vegas. They, I mean, I'm sure the fans probably don't even care about the team at this point because they're an absolute shit show. But maybe the Broncos aren't good. Like that's a distinct possibility too, right? It, it's a total possibility. But then I think about like where, who are the Raiders going to go to to beat the Broncos in this game? Like, is it just, just going to be Ty, Tyrone Williams? and that's it like I just don't see where they're going to get the offense here to sustain a lead and to keep it for the rest of the game like I just don't see where the Raiders beat the Broncos in this spot like the Broncos aren't this offensive juggernaut by any means but you know I like the matchup for Philip Lindsay I just I just don't see where the Raiders win that's my only problem here like I'm trying to envision a scenario where they could actually pull this off I can't come up with anything all right, so here's the case for the Raiders. Now, I'm picking the Broncos minus two and a half, by the way. But for the Raiders, it turns out that the defense for Denver isn't as good as maybe we projected to be coming into the season, which is a distinct possibility because we don't know anything this team hasn't played yet. The offense is absolutely putrid. That could be a thing because you know, maybe Flacco's washed up again. This is not what I'm saying. This is the path to victory. And then we look at the other side of the ball. Maybe that the Oakland defense is marginally better than we think it is. Maybe it's an average defense, not a bad defense. That can go a long way in preventing an offense that could be potentially very mediocre. And it's not just Tyrell Williams, the gazelle, that could do all the work for the Raiders. If you have Waller and you have Hunter Renfro, and those are two guys that can actually get open underneath, you can play a lot of ball control that way by throwing on first down for four yards, getting the clock moving, getting these guys involved. And if you do that it could really open up i think it all hinges on whether josh jacobs is good or not can he overcome the deficiencies of this offensive line and this offense in general and be i don't want to say that he can be saquon barkley because he's not as good as saquon barkley full stop but if he can be like 70 percent saquon barkley and he can still beat some of these eight-man boxes he is their key to this game that if he can keep the chains moving he can pound it out on the ground and you give him like 22 25 carries slow the pace down that way i think that's how Oakland ends up winning this game or at least covering the spread. No, I, I don't disagree with that. I, honestly, like you've laid it out a lot better than I have because I, I, I never went that depth into it. But at the end of the day, I just wouldn't feel comfortable taking a Oakland plus three spread over, over the Broncos. Like I get it. Like the Oak, Oakland Raiders do, do still have some comparable guys on the offense. Like you said, with, with Jacobs, with Williams and such, but it's, Man, I'm just really having a hard time wrapping my head around. Even, even if Antonio Brown was on the team, I still don't know how great I would feel about them here. So I, I like the Broncos a lot here. I like the Saints. I like the parlay. I think that's just the way I would just go here. It just feels like the safer place, that's all I'm saying. Maybe so. We'll end up seeing about that, obviously, because it happens tonight. Uh, the waiver Wire rankings will be updated after Monday Night Football, and I have my full ranking show with Jake Seeley coming out tomorrow afternoon. So that can be a good barometer as well in case you have start-sit decisions of who you want to pick up. If it's just for this week, that can really help you out. Jake's ranking is much better than my ranking, so you really want to hear what he has to say <laughs> about this. Early week two spreads, just finally, before we take off. Um, the Patriots are favored by 15 on the road at Miami and the Ravens are favored by 13 at home against Arizona. If you had to eat one of those spreads, would you eat 
one of them? Would you eat both of them? Or would you just, you know, take the home dog? Oh, that really didn't work out all that well in week one. Or would you just say, you know what, Baltimore is just going to be too good for Arizona, that every time that Baltimore gets their hands on a mediocre team, that they're going to absolutely throttle them. And we'll see, we'll wait and see what happens when they play an opponent of quality. I kind of like both of them. Like they're, they're such huge spreads and like, you know, so much can go wrong. I mean, look at the Eagles and Redskins yesterday, you know, the Redskins getting that backdoor cover with like 18 seconds left in the fourth quarter. But I just don't see where the Cardinals offense is going to generate from against really one of the best defenses in the league. Like we look at what the Ravens did last year. They, they, they allowed an average of 18 points to opposing teams last year. And then just the dolphins, like, we got Antonio Brown on the on the Patriots now. We just got Josh Gordon. We got uh, Julian Edelman, Sony Michelle. Like, there's just so much that they can beat the Dolphins with. And I mean, at this point, Brandon Bolden could probably rush for 150 yards with the way they looked yesterday. It's just, you know, I, I hate taking spreads that big because they're, obviously the you know the chances of something going wrong are high. But man, they just feel like they're they make a lot of sense in this spot. Yeah, I, I, I when I just laid out the case for the uh, laid out the case for the Raiders, like this is the optimal situation. I don't even believe that's going to happen. When I start trying to do it for the Dolphins, I guess it's maybe the Patriots' defense isn't all that great, although it looked pretty damn good in Week One. Also, by the way, can Mike Tomlin figure out that? Receivers are just going to run underneath the linebackers every single play and be <laughs> wide open, and maybe you should cover that. Maybe that's a thing you should look into. Like, it, would, it, it would help if Moncrief could actually catch a ball too. No, I'm just saying on defense, like just here's Gordon. No, oh, he's going he's to no. take, he's going to take one step forward and just run across the field. No one's going to cover him. Edelman's going to do it every single time. Remember we saw it with Keenan Allen, like last year as well, that he ended up with like 14 catches because everyone, damn, no need to cover him. We'll put a linebacker on him. That makes sense. Like, come on, Mike Tomlin, figure it out. I'm, now, now that we bring it up, do you still want Patricia to be the first one fired or do you want Tomlin? Tomlin's not going to be fired, though. <laughs> uh, but if you could choose. I mean, it's Patricia. Patricia is an actively bad coach. <laughs> I'm not saying Tomlin is great, but at least right. at least you can point to years in time. Like, remember when he tried to trip that guy? Like, that's savvy coaching. <laughs> that's still one of my favorite moments. That, that was so smooth. It was smooth. It did work out, but it was smooth. Uh, the biggest one that bothers me, uh, it, it opened at minus three. It's now down to minus two and a half. But like, I keep talking about how much I like the Bills, and I do like them more than the Giants. But like, there's something really sneaky about that line that's Bills favored by two and a half on the road against the Giants. That it's like, uh, it, it makes me squeamish just a little bit because I think for sure they should cover that game. Yet they're the Bills, and they'll figure out a way to not only not cover but like get blown out by Eli. I'm not gonna lie. When I first looked at it, I was, was like, oh, I like the Giants and that. all right steve um let everyone know what you're up to during the week you're on the sweat a lot you're doing a ton of column tell everyone where they can check you out on twitter as well yeah well my internet isn't shitty uh you can definitely follow me on twitter at sbuchanan24 uh obviously here on the sweat uh DraftKings show on a nightly basis here and then of course on the dk live app open uh updating all the news and stuff that happens during the week 
So here's the key. Now, I know you're using dial-up internet, so I hope you have that thing when people actually call you that it pops up on the screen. You have the ability. I assume that's what's causing all your problems. You got like a 64K <laughs> modem on the go. So you figure your fucking internet out, pal. Give your head a shake. Get it going for next week because you'll be back hopefully every single Monday with me with a much better feed because if not, you're cut from the show. I hate to tell you. But uh, you just get the you tell Jay Brennan to hook you up with uh, better internet over there at the DK office, all right? Yeah, we're going to work this out for next week. Don't you worry. Excellent news. So tune into The Sweat every weeknight at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the DraftKings YouTube channel and the DraftKings Facebook channel. I shall be back with myriad shows throughout the week. And if you want to get into a giveaway for 20 DK dollars, two ways to do so. Hit the comment section, not the live chat. Uh, smash the like button for the video. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Tell me the one player you would pick up this week heading into week two off the waiver wire. The second way to do so, rate the Pat Mayo experience five stars leave your DraftKings handle say something nice about the show and you'll be a draw for 20 dk bucks winners announced on every single monday pat mayo experience we got golf football 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 ufc football challenge football football for the rest of the week so if you have plans cancel them just tune into the pme or if you just download it and not worry about it uh you don't even need to listen but download it you know that goes a long way to help all right pat mayo thank you for watching good luck on your waiver wire and in week two I'll see you next time. Experience! Experience!